0: But today we're going to finish off today, verse 22 down through 27. We've been dealing with in this passage as John is writing once more to uh, these saints who are living in a day and a time where they need assurance of their salvation. They need assurance of the hope that is in them to be reminded of the, the beginnings. I would say that we're facing the same things that they're facing in a lot of ways. The Bible is not outdated, right? You and I know that the Bible is, is very much up to date. Uh, What is taking place in our day and age is the same thing that John was facing, and that was there are countless uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. There are countless antichrists and uh, false teachers and false doctrine being presented in the church and outside of the church, and those who are in Christ, those who are true believers are being certainly bombarded and attacked and need assurance during these times and need to be reminded of not some sort of new idea or new teaching, but rather to get a hold of the basic truths that they've heard their whole life, their whole ministry. And I believe that we're facing those same things today. And that we, have, for some reason in our nation and in our churches, have left the basics of the thought that we've graduated from them and that we don't need them anymore. But rather the case is this, that we need to return back to the things that we know from the beginning and to strengthen those things. As Jesus told uh, one of the churches in Revelation, to strengthen that which remains. And that, that's what we're called to do here, I believe. I believe we need that in this day. So I want to read here verse 22 and 23. We're going to see the nature of heresy. Now, I was warned in Bible college, you know, of course, when you're in Bible college, you're studying and everything. And you think you know something and then you, you don't. And then you get into ministry and you realize how dumb you actually are. And then the more you stay in ministry, the more you are continuously humbled by a lack of knowledge that you actually have. You know, but what I, one thing that we learn very quickly is to be careful of the H word. The H word in Bible college could have been a multitude of things, but for us it was heresy. It's easy to throw around the heretic word at any old thing, but we have to be careful to make sure that what we call heresy is heresy. Now, what John is dealing with in this day is certainly heresy. And we're going to see how it boils down ultimately, first and foremost, that that which goes against Christ, or that which is Antichrist, or that which has a false view of who Jesus actually is, is heresy and must be called such. We have to be bold enough, smart enough, uh, discerning enough to be able to know what is right, what is wrong, what is biblical and not biblical, what is preference or or what is uh, tradition or what is actually true to God's word. We have to be careful of these things to understand that we must conform to this book alone and that it must change us from the inside out because that's exactly what this book does. Uh, Now, verse 22 and 23. He's already addressed the issue of that there were some who had left us because they were never of us. And as dealing with those who had a false view of who Christ was. They, they, much like the the seed that was sown on the stony ground, sprung up and looked like it was going to take life. But then issues came in and problems and different views and opinions came in and, and withered away. And what these have done is they've left and now they're beginning their own sort of thoughts or opinions or ideas, much of which has been influenced by the Gnosticism of the day. Gnosticism is not just a big word, but it is the idea of having a higher knowledge or an outside knowledge outside of scripture alone. And so that has not gone away. Some 2000 years later, we're fighting Gnosticism more than ever before. We're fighting it even in different forms and fashions, but it is very much there. And it's very much being taught to our young people and has been for uh, uh, many decades. It's being promoted in movies, televisions, and everything like that. And, uh, I sound old-fashioned of just you know, don't go to the movie theater. Don't go. Don't throw that devil box out. No, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is we've got to be careful. We've got to understand that we are truly bombarded by these ideas everywhere. Verse 22 tells us, "Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also." We find, first of all, that antichrists are liars and deniers of truth. Antichrists are liars and deniers of truth. Ultimately, the way that we know something is heresy or not is if it lines up with the truth of the Bible. If it is not being preached according to the truth of the Bible, then what would that make it? Heresy. And now, now I'm not talking about some sort of small doctrinal issue of, um, that's not dealing with salvation or Christ, right? And we're not talking about dress or 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 music style, okay? Those aren't heretics, all right? What we're talking about heretics is your view of Jesus, because that is the line, right? Now, there are different folks, and, and I believe all of us must be able to discern for ourselves and to rightly divide the word of truth, and we're each held accountable and responsible for those things to where we each have to have our own line drawn of how far we might go, how far we won't go, and those sorts of things regarding fellowship with others or, or even what we believe, what we read and bring in, all, the, all that stuff. When we look, though, as what he's been dealing with, these antichrists, it comes down to this root. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? To deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny that he is the Messiah. It is to deny that he is the Redeemer, the Savior, the sent one, the anointed one. It is to deny that he is eternal. It is to deny that he is God. It is to deny that he is also man. What was happening in John's days? as we dealt with, as we opened up this book and, and kind of dealt with the introduction portion, is that in John's day, what is happening is that these Gnostics and other little offshoot branches of them are all having their different views about who Jesus is. They would all say, well, you know, he taught good things and yeah, maybe it's not all bad, but there were those who would say, well, he was in the flesh, but he wasn't God. But then you have others who said, well, he was in the flesh, but he just had a, a touch of God. All right. Well, that's not the case either. Or then there were others who said he wasn't even in the flesh. He was just an apparition or an idea. All three are wicked and vile and go against according to who God is and who Jesus is. Jesus being co-eternal, co-equal with God, but distinct, the second person of the triune God who is there from eternity to eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is clearly to see that Jesus is God, that he is eternal, to deny those things. This is why John, in the opening of his gospel, begins with, with uh, these words. Um, I'll read it for you so you don't have to, okay? I'm nice at more this morning, all right? Verse number one says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so notice that Jesus was from the beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word. That's who is there. The source of the beginning is the Word, Christ himself. According to Colossians, and the word was with God. So there is this co-equal and coexisting with God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the word was God because he is God. He always has been. Jesus was not born and then later on in his life become God. Rather, he was born God in the flesh. We must not miss that. If Jesus for a moment was not God, then he never was God. And that's what these folks are denying and, and, and missing here. Now, here's, here's what we're getting at. This is not just to say that he is not the promised Messiah of the Scriptures, but also denies his full deity, fleshly death, burial, and resurrection. To deny any of those things means you cannot have salvation, at least not real salvation. It means that you don't know God, but you can claim to know God. But as John has already addressed, you can claim to know God and still not know him. And there will be those on the end day, the last day, where they will stand before God and say, oh, well, I knew you because I did all these things, right? And he'll say, well, I didn't know you. And there's the key difference. They have no real fellowship, no real relationship with the Lord. They deny the son. They are a, a liar that, that lies, certainly, that say they deny that Jesus is a Christ. If anyone had authority to say this, it was John. It was John who was there throughout Jesus' uh, ministry, it was John who had seen such wonderful things from the Mount of Transfiguration, the baptism, and, and watched the miracles and these things take place. Not only watched Jesus raise the dead, but himself be raised from the dead. He was the first one to look and appear in the empty tomb and look and go, he's not here. And then, of course, Peter comes telling behind him and goes on in. And, and we see that John, if anybody knows that Jesus is God, was literally in the flesh and literally died on the cross and literally rose from the dead it is John and early these early believers many of them even could have been a part of the group that had seen the resurrected lord or had known someone who literally did they had scripture that promised it and they had scripture that had fulfilled it we find this truth and this is this is number two here in your little spot it says what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing in your life it is the doctrine of Christ that is we, weaved throughout all other doctrines If you show me your doctrinal statement about who Jesus is, I will show you the rest of what you believe. If you deny an ounce of his deity, then the rest of your doctrine is going to be faulty and shaky. Or if you're like many of the Gnostics during that day who say, well, he might have had a a touch of God. Then I'll show you the rest. Everything else you believe is wrong. It's going to be false because unless it is built upon Christ, the solid rock, uh, everything else is uh, is sifting, shaking, uh, sinking sand. It, it's worth nothing. It's got no, uh, nothing to hold on to. And what we see is that if you get your Christology wrong, your study of Christ, your doctrine of Christ, about what you believe about Jesus, then you will get everything else wrong. And, and it's because when we look at every other doctrine, it is Christ that is weaved throughout. But the doctrine of Scripture, it's Christ who's weaved through that. Why? Because it's the Scripture that promises Christ. It is Jesus who is the divine word or revealer of the word himself. It is. How about in any other doctrine? How about to understand the doctrine of pneumatology, the Holy Spirit? Uh, Well, how is Christ we through there? Because Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, but Holy Spirit comes from from Christ. He says the comfort is going to come and to understand how it is the Holy Spirit that points our hearts to Jesus. Uh, How about uh, the study of sin? Well, Christ is certainly we through that. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin. And so we find that these things, every doctrine, you name it, you are going to find Christ, weed throughout it. And I would say the same thing for Scripture. You will find Christ. Maybe not in every verse, but every passage is going to be pointing either forward to uh, the coming Messiah or looking back to what the Messiah has already done or what he's going to do in our future. Everything is about Christ. And what you believe about Jesus will not only determine how you live your life now, but it's going to determine where you spend your eternity. This is why we must not just go, well, you know, it's just another doctrine, or we could have differences about who Jesus is. If there is a line to be drawn as far as relationship, fellowship, or belief and things, I would base it first and foremost with who is Christ. Because to deny what the scripture teaches about Jesus, about who he is, means that everything else would be wrong this is why we can't have fellowship with mormonism or even uh uh, jehovah's witness or other groups who have a false view of who christ is and i would even say that they're not christian because to have a false view of christ means that you are not saved you are not a christian that's not bullying or being mean it it is a scripture here it is to actually mean that they are liars because they deny that jesus is the christ and it would even mean further as john says that he's an antichrist He's not going to be the Antichrist that is coming one day, but he is certainly doing the work of Antichrist because he's preaching that which goes against. Him. Furthermore, they, we see that they're not just lies because they deny that he is a Christ, but uh, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. To deny one is to deny the other. As Jesus said to the disciples and those that heard, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you see me in my ministry and not believe him? Because it's through me that you're going to get to Him because there's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. The close relationship that the, uh, the, uh, God the Father and His only begotten Son have is, is eternal. It is immense, and we must take it seriously. <coughs> Excuse me. Here, one commentator deals with this issue, and he says, Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is, in fact, an antichrist. And his or her denial, as far as the author is concerned, is not only a denial of the true identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Messiah, but is also a denial of God the Father himself. The author does not spell out here why this is so, but from the statements he makes later in the letter, we can infer that the denial of the Son also involves denial of the Father because one, it was the Father who sent his Son in chapter 4, verse 10, and two, it is a Father who bears testimony to the Son, chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. All who deny the Son and so deny the father can no longer be regarded by the author as true believers, which is why he says they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Christ is central. There is no halfway ground. There is no gray area. You are either in Christ or you are out. You either know him or you don't. You are either in the right or you are in the wrong. And there are far too many who believe that they can live a Christian walk somewhere in this dead space in the middle of no man's land. To be in no man's land is to be uh, an antichrist. It is to not know Christ. It is to go against him. You must be on his side or you are against him. There is no other way around it. And so John here nails down that you must, must know this. Because he says, whoever denieth the son, the same hath not the father. So the idea is what Jesus spoke of in his ministry, which is, if you deny me, then you don't know God. And what happened in that day of Jesus' time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so many others who denied him that should have known him, should have seen his coming, should have had their eyes open, but yet they were spiritually blinded because of their sinfulness, their pride, even their own main-made traditions and rules that they added to the law, all these other things, and even bad interpretations of Scripture. What we find is that Jesus should have been accepted by them, but instead they denied him, which means they also denied Jesus. God the Father that they claim to know and that they claim to do His will. It is always the Antichrist who would say that he's in the right before God. Someone who is an Antichrist or has an Antichrist spirit or mentality or a way of teaching always says that God told them so. Any false teacher that you'll find today, whether books, television, radio, whatever it might be, all of them are going to say that they heard a special divine revelation from God and that you've got to send, you know, your four easy payments of 1995 to keep their ministry alive and to make sure that God's word goes out. Now, how how can we know that? How could we test them? The issue is this. If they claim, God told me, but we don't find it here, go ahead and don't cut that check, all right? matter of fact, I, I would say if you're willing to give to a televangelist, That I would certainly hope to think that you give at least twice that to your local church that you're a member of. And I don't care about money, by the the way. But we should certainly be more committed to our local church than we are to a guy who says, uh, I'll send you a handkerchief where I'll pray specifically for you and your healing that if you send X amount of money, right? He's not there for your soul. He's not going to bury you. He's not going to hold your hand if you're sick. He's not going to greet you. He's not going to help get your plate at potluck. He's there for your money. He's an antichrist. And there are many of them out there. And every one of them will not appear that they are an antichrist. This is why John's leader going to go to say we must try and test the spirits, test the doctrine. This also shows in the denial of the Father and the Son, this whole passage shows that the Trinity is at the core belief of Christianity. You do not have Christianity without the triune God. We have to understand this. In this passage, we have the Holy Spirit over in verse 20. We have an unction from the Holy One, and we're going to see Him later on in this passage as well, that we have Him abiding upon us, filling us, strengthening us, all those things. And we find the Father and the Son, of course, in the same couple of verses, dealing with to deny one is to deny the other, to accept the one means you must accept the other. We don't get Jesus and His teachings without having the Holy Spirit, without knowing God the Father. He is our mediator. He is our Redeemer. It is through this triune God that we can actually know God and have forgiveness of sins and have assurance of those things. Every believer should certainly have assurance. Are there times of doubt, of sin, or or discouragement, things like that? Absolutely. But every believer, we base our assurance not upon what our life looks like right now, not about our emotions and what we feel right now, because there's days and times that we don't feel saved because of something in our life whether it is discouragement or, 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 or a sin or whatever it might be, we cannot base it off our feelings, but we base it off the fact that we are in Christ and we're trusting in him. Therefore, the work that he has begun in me, he will complete and see it through. That's what we trust in. That's our assurance. That's what John is reminding the readers of here. Now, verse 24, we're going to get to now the protection from heresy or from Antichrist. If he's going to tell us and warn us about them, he's got to tell us how to be prepared for it, right? How our, our action goes now. This is verse 24, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things. And is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, here we begin. First, there's going to be two things that we have to understand. And that is, we have to be anchored to the word, to the gospel. Second, we have to be empowered and taught by the Holy Spirit. If you truly believe the gospel for salvation, you will have the Holy Spirit and he will teach you. If there is no teaching and leading and uh, guiding or even conviction from the Holy Spirit, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. He is that still, small voice that we hear that tells us you better not. And he's even that warning sign that says, don't do it, run, flee, fight. Don't do it. The same one that points us to Christ, the same one that teaches us and shows us. You ever wonder if you've read your Bible, right? You've been saved a long time. You might have read your Bible 15, 20, 30 times in a lifetime so far. Who knows? Maybe more than that. I hope so. And what we see is that every time that we read it, It's like we notice something new. Is it because there was a new verse in there that you didn't read before? No, it stayed the same. But it is the Holy Spirit who teaches us these things. That is the role of the Holy Spirit for each believer. It's not just for the preacher or missionary or deacon. It's for every believer because the same Holy Spirit that I have, the same one that you have, the same Holy Spirit that we have, is the same Holy Spirit that the apostles had. Because it's the same Holy Spirit that has forever been the Holy Spirit of the triune God. Now, here's what we see. We don't need a new truth. We need to remain faithful to the old truth, which we have heard from the beginning. What is it that we have heard from the beginning? According to this book already, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. 1 John 1-2. The opening of 1 John deals with what we know from the beginning, which is the gospel. As we've talked about how Christology and your knowledge of Christ and your view of Christ is woven throughout every doctrine that you believe and know, uh, your statement of faith, if you will, that just as that is the case, so is the gospel. Because the gospel is the work of Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Wherever you find scripture, wherever you find Bible doctrine, you will certainly find the good news of the gospel. You will find because it is what God has set forth from eternity past to accomplish for his people, to draw people unto himself, to redeem them, to save them, so that in all of eternity, God would get the glory. And he might demonstrate his glory by saving people through the power of the gospel, not through the power of anything else not through the message of anything else. So what do you and I need? We need the good news of the gospel, and we need it daily. We never graduate from the gospel. There's never a believer who says, you know, well, that's just basic baby stuff. You know, I've moved on from that. I've been in church long enough. I, I need some more stuff. Well, go a little bit further in the gospel, because what you'll find the more you dig deeper into it, the more you dig deeper into everything, The more you dig deeper into the Bible, regardless of where you open it, regardless of where you study, you will find these truths because it points to Christ and to what he has accomplished for us. None of us get to the place where we don't need to be reminded of it. As a matter of fact, I would say that the gospel is just as much for the lost soul as it is for the saved today. The the gospel, when we hear it, we only think that the gospel message is only for those who need to be born again. If I were to preach just a gospel message this morning and and no one gets saved today and everyone here claims that they're saved, it was just as much for you as it was for if we had a whole row of, of lost people up here. And the reason why is because you need it as much as they do. Because now what you're facing is you're facing sin. You're facing discouragement. You're facing spiritual warfare. You're facing the discouragement of the world, and you're fighting your own flesh, and you're fighting the devil, and you're fighting all these things. So what do you need to win that fight? You need the hope of the gospel. The good news is that because I trusted in Jesus, that one day I'm going to be with Jesus, and that right now, positionally, I, I'm already seeing it in heavenly places. I'm just passing through this world, that this trial or temptation is just temporary, and that I have the power inside of me, not my works or my flesh, but Christ in me to fight this good fight of faith so that I might run my race and finish my course, so that I might glorify him. It is the gospel that keeps us grounded daily. And we need that. The gospel should not just be preached to the lost, but it must be preached to your heart daily. Now, I can't call each one of you daily and say, hey, I want you to know Jesus loved you. He died for you. He was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Isn't that good news? Now, certainly, it certainly is good news, and it would be certainly nice if I could do all that. But guess what? There's a whole lot of you. But what you and each one of you are called to do because you have that same Holy Spirit, the same Bible, is to preach that news to yourself daily. Preach the truth to yourself daily to continue in it, as he says, that ye also shall continue, that it shall remain in you, that which you've heard from the beginning. If you're struggling with emotional turmoil, struggling with loss, struggling with sin, struggling with. Uh, assurance struggling with whatever your issue may be even struggling with uh, you know what i I don't know if i've got the money today to to pay my bill you know where i can get encouragement from the fact that jesus loved me and died for me and rose again that i might know him and be forgiven and have fellowship relationship with him the gospel is there anything that is better news or greater news than that of course not and it's applicable not just to save your soul but to see through your sanctification and as well as to point you to the fact that one day we're going to be glorified and we won't have to worry about these things anymore. We need more gospel, not less. In a world of bad news, certainly we'd say we need more good news. The only good news that you're going to find is not going to be on television. They might have a feel-good story maybe once an hour or two. But the greatest good story that you're ever going to hear is not just a story. It is the account of that the God of the universe put on flesh and died for you while you were yet a sinner. And that He rose again to offer all those who call upon His name life. And and an abundant life. Not of riches on this earth, but an abundant life of love, joy, and peace. And and all these things that He does for us on the inside on this earth. And the fact that we will have an eternal life with Him. Furthermore, we see that as we abide in the gospel, as it abides in us, the truth and position of who you are in Christ does not stop because you sin. does not stop because... You just don't feel it that way or there's some distance or something just uh, spiritual warfare going on. You remain who you are in Christ. So therefore remain in him as it remains in you and continues to encourage you when your daily walk and struggle. As we trust the truth of God, it remains in us and we too remain in the father is the idea to remain in the father. It's to have fellowship with God, to have fellowship with God in that we trust and live out the truth which he has given to us. From the beginning, the gospel is something that we proclaim. We proclaim with words. It has been said by someone who was foolish that we should preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. Um, We need to always use words, right? I can live a good life and my neighbor will never know the truth of the gospel if I just, you know, do nice things every now and again and wave and smile at him. You just think, oh, his nice neighbor, good guy. What he needs to know is that. He's a sinner, and Jesus loves him and died for him, and he rose again to offer him life, and he must repent and believe on him alone for salvation. That's what he needs to hear. He needs to hear the truth of the gospel. Now, how do we live out this sort of thing? We live out a sacrificial life. We live out a life that is willing to preach the gospel to whoever, whenever, wherever. We are to proclaim the gospel with our our attitude, our our mindset, the way that we live our life, our focus, our heart, our worship, everything. To be truly gospel-centered and and grounded in the truth of it, that we might remain in Him. We remain by faith in an eternal life that is promised us, as He says in verse 25. And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. If you need hope this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, you know what you have a promise of today? Eternal life. Eternal. It means forever. And when forever gets there, you still got forever to go. To be with our Lord. That is what this means. That brings us hope. The gospel brings us home. Then these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. He writes to warn them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them. And he says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. What is the anointing? The anointed one. The unction of the Holy One. The Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together because you will not know what the Bible means unless you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, does this mean that we will know all that there is to know about the Bible? No. I wish. There are many days I wish I had every answer for everybody and even for my own heart. But guess what? There is still yet a mystery. And it is a beautiful mystery to not know everything about the Bible. If you could know all that God knows, He wouldn't be God, you would. We have a God who has given us what He desires for us to know and has even given us His Holy Spirit so that we might be taught by Him, not by mysticism, but as we study the Word. So if you want to know more about God, the easiest way to do it is to take that Bible that we neglect so often, open it up, begin to study it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and to ask the Holy Spirit of God, to ask God, reveal to me Your Word, teach it to me, put it upon my heart, Help me to chew on it, to meditate on it, and you will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, just for sake of time, you can uh, look back later on at John 14, 26, that tells us Jesus says that the Spirit's going to do this work in the Word. It's the Holy Spirit and His anointing of those who believe that teaches us from the Word. Now here there would be some who would say and focus in on the, the part of the verse that says that you need not that any man teach you and say, oh, well, cool. I can just stay at home and read my Bible and I don't need a local church or a pastor or maybe a good commentary or concordance. I can just do my own thing. That's not the case. We are not called to do our own thing. We're called to submit to the authority of the word, which the word tells us to submit to the authority of the local church and to grow in fellowship, relationship with one another as we all grow closer in the word of God. But the idea here is this. Much like what the Catholic Church and many others today, and I would even say this, and if you want to have that discussion later, you can talk to me later about it, but there are plenty of also independent Baptist preachers who preach and act as if you need them to know God, that you cannot discern for yourself, that you cannot discern what you should do, shouldn't do, where you should go, how you should interpret certain things, that you need them. I want you to know, if I keeled over, Church had better still be happening ten thirty, Amen. Hey, so it's at least gonna happen forever. whoever said Amen. They're still gonna have church. The rest of y'all, I don't know, right? Right, y'all, scoot me out out the way where nobody can see me, and y'all keep y'all keep on right? Here's the thing: the church is not about the pastor. You learning the Bible is not just about me. Now, I'm called ultimately to do two major things, and this is where we've lost it somewhere in two thousand years. We've added down to that list a lot. Called to pray called to preach the book and that's what we need however when you go home i can't teach you there but who can the holy spirit as he reveals to your word that the word to your heart but you must put in the time and the effort and the energy to study and you must have the desire and you won't have the desire unless you are truly born again you must check your heart and this is why john writes this there's one commentator tells us The word is an objective safeguard while the anointing of the spirit is a subjective experience, but both the apostolic teaching and the heavenly teacher are necessary for continuance in the truth. You will not have one without the other and both are to be personally and inwardly grasped. This is the biblical balance, which too seldom preserve uh, seldom preserved. Some honor the word, but neglect the spirit who alone can interpret it. Others honor the spirit, but neglect the word out of which he teaches the only safeguard against lies is to have remaining within us both the word that we heard from the beginning and the anointing that we received from him. It is by these old possessions, not by new teachings or teachers, that we shall remain in truth. Today, as we bring this to a close, if we are to not be led astray in these last days, which I believe we are living in these last days, as he has already pointed out in this passage, if we are not to be led astray in these last days by antichrists, by false teachers, and it will be because we have a complete dependence upon the work of the Word and the Spirit of God. Today, what are you trusting in? What are you growing in? It must be and must solely be the work of the Word of God through the Spirit of God so that we might worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. Thank You for your word for the scripture you've given and for the gift of your holy spirit to interpret to teach us to convict us to guide us lord i pray now that it would be your holy spirit that fills each one of us today prepares our hearts for worship god that you would uh take uh, this time now that we sit apart as we would sing to you who would glorify you and lord that all that we say and do today uh, would just be a, a work of you today lord we love you we thank you and praise you for this time we ask all this in jesus name amen all right y'all we'll take a pause for the calls and any guys that want to come